0: Welcome to Christian Zionism and Settler Colonialism with Reverend Don Wagner. Hello, I'm Grant Smith of the Institute for Research, Middle Eastern Policy. The power of the Israel lobby has been growing for decades. Since 1948, It's been the leading recipient, that is Israel, of US foreign aid, uh, which is now nearly entirely military aid. USA to Israel even exceeded the Marshall Plan amount to rebuild Europe after World War II. And the Israel lobby has become a major obstacle to peace in the Middle East. Available specialty public opinion polling shows that most Americans now oppose U.S. Middle East military interventions, violations of international law, and unconditional foreign aid packages to Israel. But experts and alternative voices with better, uh, non-Israel-centric, peaceful policy options face tremendous obstacles gaining platforms and news media, government, and policymaking circles. But what if they could get a relevant platform at least for a single day every year? Since 2015, Israel LobbyCon, held at the National Press Club, has featured some of the best, most dedicated, and innovative voices from the US and from around the world. The networking, relationship building, and information gathering opportunities of this conference are simply unmatched. Staged at the National Press Club in Washington, DC and occurring just days before APAC's annual policy conference, Israel LobbyCon even gets a bit of mainstream news coverage with C-SPAN broadcasting the event over cable and radio here in Washington. And sometimes we even get an article in the Washington Post. We can't presently meet at the National Press Club, and that's where these images are coming from, but we can still gather with top experts and you online to focus on how to transcend harmful Israel lobby initiatives, and work for better outcomes. A reminder that this public online forum uh, in this, we work to ensure that our speakers, moderators, and attendees don't use it as a platform to perpetuate racist or bigoted behaviors and practices. Our conference stands opposed to anti-Muslim Anti-Jewish, white nationalists, and all other forms of racism and expressions of bigotry directed at any person or group. We also reject the charge of anti-Semitism when it is used spuriously to silence legitimate criticism of Israel's policies and practices. So presenting Israel Lobby Khan Extra, co-organized by the Washington Report on Middle East affairs. Delinda Hanley, the executive editor at the Washington Report is backing us up in case we lose our connections and we'll be helping send in viewer questions arriving this time by email. That email address is israellobbykhan at gmail.com. Let me just repeat that. Israel Lobby Con at gmail.com. This online series, which we call Extra, does not replace our annual National Press Club conference scheduled for March 5, 2021. But until we reconvene at the National Press Club, welcome to Extra. So today we have with us, on the move it looks like, uh, Reverend Don Wagner recently retired as National Program Director of Friends of Sabil North America. Prior to that, he was a professor of Middle East Studies at North Park University, where he was also the director of its Center for Middle East Studies. During the 1980s, he was the National Director of the Palestine Human Rights Campaign an ordained Presbyterian minister, Reverend Wagner, has served churches in New Jersey and Evanston, Illinois. He is the author or co author of five books dealing with Palestinian human rights, Christian Zionism, a theological critique of Zionism, and a history of Christianity in Palestine, Israel. Uh, these books include Anxious for Armageddon a call to partnership for Middle Eastern and Western Christians, 1995. Dying in the Land of Promise, Palestine and Palestinian Christianity from Pentecost to 2000, which came out in 2003. And Zionism and the Quest for Justice in the Holy Land, 2014. So history and theology of Christian Zionism is also a central topic of the book he's currently writing. And so now, Reverend Wagner, how and why did you become active in all this?
1: Well, thank you, Grant. Thank you, Washington Report, for your steady faithfulness, solidarity through the years. Um, well, I first uh, grew up in Christian Zionism. That knocked him out. Hello, are you still there? Yes, go okay. ahead. Okay. Uh I grew up in Christian Zionism uh as a child, and my uh parents were committed to the fundamentalist form, the end time rapture, and I got that in spades. And I kind of had some questions as a junior high kid about all these violent texts and uh, Rapture didn't make sense after a while, so I kind of left that, left it behind, you might say, and uh, and then later I got into a more liberal Protestant form of Christian Zionism. Uh, once I went to seminary and began to study the Holocaust and some of the Christian resistance, like Bunhoffer, and I held those views until I was about thirty-five. So that's it in a nutshell, and then when I I was doing my doctorate, I decided to kind of autobiographically go back and re-examine this end-time theology, which was I was doing my research like in the early 80s, and uh, Christian Zionism was then a factor uh, particularly under Reagan. So that's the journey.
0: All right, and an interesting journey. Now, we want you to go deep into Christian Zionism, as I suspect only you can, and you've sent in a very powerful set of images. And so I want you to just talk us through these slides and let me know when to advance or go back. So I'm going to go off camera again and put up that slideshow called challenging Christian Zionism. So I'll be back.
1: Yeah, let me just say that uh, I think only in the last three or four years I've realized that settler colonialism is probably our best lens at interpreting political Jewish Zionism and Christian Zionism It uh, is something I've come to recently and in fact as I say that I should acknowledge that I'm on stolen land here in Chicago of the uh, Algonquin and Potawatomi nations. I'm trying to be increasingly aware of that and acknowledge uh, our sins of complicity that way. And as I began to apply settler colonialism, uh, I realized we have to really step up our game. um, Until Recently, I think I've believed in more of an education model on critiquing Christian Zionism and have done a lot of that, even with my writing. But now I think we really need a much more focused political and even a resistance advocacy model. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think that's where I'm moving right now in my analysis.
0: So tell me what this first slide is all about. We're going to, uh,
1: yeah, let's go down and, uh, so settler colonialism is a lens, a frame that, uh, gives you a stronger historical and political critique of injustice and movements like Zionism and Christian Zionism. And it's, uh, you know, Zionism and Christian Zionism both emerged in the 19th century in Europe. Uh, they didn't start in the Holy Land. They didn't start in the United States. Uh, Zionism, uh, maybe you can go to the next slide, and I can just amplify a little bit on that. As a 19th century political movement, it was modeled after romantic or blood nationalism. I mean, mm-hmm. there's various options, the French, liberty, equality, fraternity the English, the American, every citizen of the homeland is equal under the law. But Zionism followed uh, more the Germanic blood nationalism that the country will be organized according to ethnicity or religion. That means a certain group will have privileges. It's a form of exceptionalism. Christian Zionism is basically support of Zionism. And While Zionism needed in its embryonic forms an empire, and Herzl cast around, he didn't get any leverage with the Germans or the Ottoman, but the British took him in and saw how they could use uh, Zionism for its projects in the Middle East. Christian Zionism emerged at the same time, and it's an ideology That supports political Zionism. That's the shortest definition we can give. I am going to be talking primarily about the, I call it the fundamentalist form of Christian Zionism, the Mm -hmm. end time theology version. Which gives a biblical support for Zionist control of the entirety of historic Palestine with unconditional economic, political and religious Uh, programs to enhance it. So those are the the short definitions. Okay. Okay. Now, Now you've included a
0: very interesting video clip in this slide that I'd like to play and then just have you give any reactions to it after it
2: plays. It's like it's actually a Twitter video. To have a discussion about what Zionism is. Yes, Zionism isn't some mushy. You know what they're trying to. What what the groups like the Jewish Labor Movement and Zionist groups here in the United States are trying to do is convert Zionism into some sort of personal identity thing. Yeah, you yeah. Know, if you say I'm a Zionist, and then I say to you, well, Zionism is racism. It's like, oh my God, you attacked me. You hurt my feelings. You made me feel unsafe. Uh, and that's what they've converted it into, and that's what people in the UK in particular have gotten completely caught up in. Oh, very, much so. like, very much so, very much so. of what Zionism is, Zionism is the belief that Palestinians can and must be expelled from their homeland so yeah. that settlers can take their place. Zionism mm-hmm. is the belief that Palestinian refugees cannot return to their homeland to the towns and villages from which they were expelled solely and exclusively because they're not jewish okay i don't care how that makes you feel that's the reality absolutely like, right so what what i'm saying is it requires us to be willing to have that discussion to explain what zionism means yeah, yeah. not to Ruth Smith, or not to Joan Ryan, but what it means to Palestinians, thrown off their land, expelled, their homes demolished, their children killed because they're not Jewish. That's what Zionism is. And if that makes you feel bad, or it makes you feel like, you know, I've hurt your feelings, tough luck. Tough luck. So that's... Ali Abu Nima.
0: Um, Tell us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, well, this is a position I've come to. I think um, being a Presbyterian clergyman, um, you know, we often would come under attack if you criticize Zionism Mm -hmm. or go a little bit too far in your critique that you're you're becoming anti-Semitic your critique is going a little bit too far. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think we finally have to, why I use the settler colonial critique. Can you still hear me?
0: Yeah, you cut out out just a little bit there.
1: Yeah, yeah. I got a weak internet here. But this is why the settler colonial project is most important because Mm -hmm. it gets to the core. It sees Zionism and Christian Zionism as colonial projects, Right. to replace the indigenous people. right? And traditional colonialism, you go occupy and take their resources, or it's brutal, but you right. don't stay there. This is what the United States has done. This has been done in Brazil, South Africa, and so on. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's why settler colonialism, I think, is the appropriate critique. And Ali is right. Zionism is a form of racism. It calls for displacement, ethnic cleansing. Let's get to the core, have that discussion. And we may disagree, your feelings may be hurt, but so be it. So yeah, this is a
0: yeah, definitely a discussion not too many people want to have and feel empowered to have. So it's it's really, you know, I think the Electronic Intifada and Ali Abunima have... Uh, Quite a voice, but it's very much um, in a league of very few people. Tell us a little bit then about this map and more about the aspects and the differences between, say, what the British did in India and what's going on here.
1: Right. Well, um, we're all familiar with this map. Washington Reports have been distributing it for 15, 20 years. Um, so settler colonialism conquers the land, and this is what Zionism began to do. Thanks to the embrace of the Balfour Declaration, uh, the British provided a platform and a program that was written right into the Treaty of Versailles, and settler colonialism began as the Palestinians began to lose their land and be displaced by settlers from in the 1920s. The Nakba accelerated that. So you see the map of uh, 47 of the partition, the second one, mm-hmm. compared to the original one, you see shrinking Palestine. The settler colonial project continued peaks and valleys, but it continued with the war 67, more expulsion and control. And then under Oslo, uh and accelerated today with the deal of the century you've got the shrinking and it's even smaller than the final map right. palestinians now will be ghettoized on reservations or bantustan surrounded by settlements settler roads and their resources now are taken they're dependent on the controlling party israel for their water their electricity they have no borders Israel now controls the land, what's under the land, the population, and the borders. This is totally different from what the British did in India. And the British then left. The well, Zionists are They
0: not didn't want to leave.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. thanks to Gandhi and, uh, and, and a global support. Right. Same with South Africa. It took a global support to decolonize. And this is what settler colonialism gets at. Decolonize, that's the...
0: All right, so I think your audio might be cutting out just a little bit again, Don. Um...
1: Two equal parties, it's not, Mm -hmm. it's asymmetrical. The Palestinians we see they don't have control of their land, airspace, resources, and even their destiny. So the decolonization has to move in. And I think settler colonialism, as is, is the, is the lens, helps us get at that analysis, sees right. how difficult it is, right. but it also opens up the possibility to work with other Black Lives Matter, uh, Native populations all over, and the form solidarity and transactional movements uh where, where we really have global solidarity. That's what it has to move toward.
0: All right. So here we're moving on and taking a look at where the Christian Zionists who, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, they're not easily explained by resources coming into the land, settling, pushing off natives. They've got a different angle on this. Can you explain?
1: Yeah, but they justify what Zionism is doing in taking Mm -hmm. the land. Mm -hmm.
2: Because
1: they have what I call a false biblical analysis. They take verses out of context, such as Genesis 12, 1-3, the book of Joshua, and they say that modern Zionism is a fulfillment of Bible prophecy, and Israel has unconditional support, uh, as if God is a real estate agent, to take all of the land. Mm-hmm. God gave them the land through the covenant with Abraham, full stop, all of it. Palestinians are non-entities. Right. And they don't figure at all. And they're just there in the way to be removed with Christ, Christian Zionists and Zionists.
0: so So this is is in your books yeah in zionism
1: to give this religious rationale uh which i once believed uh and which really is false and we there is a theological critique through liberation theology that i have come to so my migration from christian zionism to liberation theology is a long difficult up and down road okay So
0: I think we had another slight cut there. Um, On the slide, we've got some issues uh, about sort of Christian Zionism in the earlier days from, um, you know, the predating Balfour Declaration, et cetera. And so, you know, your books make a lot of references to what could only be called Selective retrieval. But tell us a little bit about this history, about okay. the Balfour Declaration, the Treaty of Versailles. What what was the role
1: of Christian Zionists in that? Okay. Um, first, as you see at the top of the slide, there are two movements in mm-hmm. Europe, primarily in England, Christian Restorationism, which simply means. That we must support the Jewish people to return to Palestine. This was the early form. It's a precursor of Christian Zionism because it wasn't that political uh, and it wasn't well developed. Premillennial dispensationalism, it's a long package, I can unpack that if we have time, but it believes that we must support the Jews to return to the land To fulfill Bible prophecy, and at the end time, all the covenant support will be with Israel as the Antichrist rises, the rapture removes the born-again Christians from history, and then you have the showdown for the final battle of Armageddon. This is the second form that developed that really became political under William E. Blackstone. The first Zionist lobby in the U.S. was a Christian one organized by Blackstone in 1891, Mm -hmm. calling for a Jewish homeland, hence state, in Palestine. And he lobbied Benjamin Harrison, had tremendous support uh, from some of the major donors. Uh, So that is the first real lobby, Zionist lobby in the U.S. Uh, The president rejected it, and it predated the World Zionist Congress of 1891. Right,
0: right. where the big meeting came up and right. Herzl's this plan was adopted for the Jewish state. This is the state.
1: official founding yeah. of uh, political Zionism by Herzl. Uh, now, some of the Christian Zionists had influence on Belfour and David Lloyd George. Those two characters grew up in this end-time theology of dispensationalism. So I argue that they were predisposed to accept the Zionist arguments. Uh, Belfour's niece, Blanche Dugdale, writes that when he first met with Weizmann, who was Herzl's successor, he saw him as a great prophet, and he was enamored by him. This is because of that Christian Zionist background that he had. Right, right. But their goals, let's be clear, their goals were clearly political, to expand the empire. Oil had been struck, so they knew that was a resource they needed. They wanted a land bridge from the Mediterranean to the Arab Gulf or the Persian Gulf over to India. And they wanted to control that, and they were trying to outpace the French uh, in the colonial period to get control of that. And they thought that it might be better to have a small movement they could control, like the Zionists. Who right. were very embryonic and tiny at that point. So they embraced Zionism primarily for political reasons, imperial reasons. Uh, but again, they were predisposed to it. One of uh, Lord George's biographers writes that when he went to Versailles to negotiate, he could only talk about the biblical names Judea.
0: Okay, I think we might have another. Slight audio tremor the there. The Belford
1: Declaration was written right into the Treaty of Versailles. And uh-huh. we know it did not even mention the Palestinians. No political rights for the Palestinians. So it was really right. a Zionist document. So this privileging of Zionist colonization uh, was enhanced by the Belfort Declaration Treaty of Versailles. And then the ethnic cleansing begins in the 20s, right on up to the Nakba
0: okay and you're saying it's going to peak with the trump netanyahu deal of the century so moving on um to talk a little more in depth uh, about christian zionism's political power in the u.s
1: yeah well i remember back in the late 70s when carter became president uh there was a real reaction to him you know we, some of us who are older, we remember Falwell Sr. in the Moral Majority, Pat Robertson, uh, and there are many other players. Uh, this is when uh, the Christian right really became organized, politicized, uh, and one of their major platforms was Christian support for Israel for the entirety. They lobbied. Uh, they were not a big force, but they were a lobby. Um, Carter gave a speech in, I think it was in March in New Hampshire,
0: I think we're getting a bit of uh, audio cut out there.
1: From the Chicago Sun-Times from Boston over to L.A. that Jimmy Carter is going against God. And this was one of the first, I think, connected lobby uh, uh, pushes by the, uh, by ape.
0: Okay. I think we're losing oh. your,
1: your audio there.
0: Ah. So I'm, I'm going to just do a pause here. And so I'm going to see if we can fix this. I think, uh, Don, if you could just cut your video feed and keep your audio feed on, I think we can get your audio and get through these slides because you're really clipping quite a bit there. Okay. So the little, the little start video or share video. But uh, don't disconnect because we still need to get through a few more of these credible images you put together. There we go. Can you still hear me? Yep. Beautiful. All right. So I'm going to screen share. Yep. And you just talk us through these, and we should be back up.
1: Okay. So Reagan. All right. And. And in those briefings, he had the Israeli ambassador. To the U.S. Oliver North led one of them, Bud mm-hmm. McFarlane, and these were far right organizers, Molly North, a great Christian Zionist supporter, and they would invite 150 to 200 of the religious right. And it was very much a pro Christian Zionist orientation right in the White House. So uh, this was, I, I think, a step further in this development of the Christian right. Uh, it continued, and Kufi came on the scene about 30 years ago. Uh, it began at uh, Reverend John Hagee's church in San Antonio, mm-hmm. where he had nights to honor Israel. And he would often present a check for uh, about a million dollars. It was up and down every year. Mm-hmm. And he called it a night to honor Israel. Uh, much closer to APEC when David Braun came in uh, to organize. And I think you might want to go to the next slide.
0: Okay, here we go.
1: Yeah. So, CUFI has become the numerically largest, and Grant, here's where you can really help me. (laughs) I haven't done the hardcore research on policy and numbers like you have. Uh, But Kufi claims eight to nine million members. Right, uh, I think that's completely exaggerated, and falsified. It's probably way less than half. But their impact is modest compared to APAC, ADL, and the rest of the mainstream uh, Jewish scientists.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll I'll ask you some of those questions in a bit. Um, you know, organizations, some of them count. Everyone on their email distribution list, you know, and others only donors, um, and others, you know. So, yeah, but they, I, I'm, I believe you. I think the number, it's not audited. It's, you know, there's no way to really verify it, but they're clearly powerful and they represent a pretty widespread view. And so, I don't yeah. think there's any doubt about that.
1: But let me emphasize. Mm -hmm. that uh, there's a difference in the Kufi approach from the mainstream liberal Christian Zionism, which is a separate topic we won't have time to get into. Mm -hmm. And they are pretty much confined within the far right of evangelicalism. Um, They represent uh, a significant base for Trump and for Christian Zionism. But uh, they are fundamentalist, and it's not all evangelicalism. Mm -hmm. And I think most of the secular media always calls them evangelical. Right. But evangelical means it's an umbrella, and you have a broad spectrum ranging from Jim Wallace and many others who are not at all far-right Christian Zionists. a center that is pulled into the fundamentalist orientation, but they're, I think, pliable and, and, uh, they, they can be educated. Uh, we've given up on the far right. I think Mm -hmm. they are so locked in, in the tribal sense to this exceptionalism, uh, that can't be moved with few exceptions. And I'd say half my family and my mother's side are that way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but I think it's time to challenge Kufi's tax exempt status. When uh, when they raise this money and have projects, and there are many others like Kufi, yeah. it's all tax exempt donations.
0: It's all it's all completely intransparent as well because they're set up as an association of churches, and right. so yeah. they're even less transparent than you know APAC, ADL. Right. Uh, Republican Jewish Coalition and the others who do a lot of lobbying Zionist Organization of America. They are you don't know how much revenue they raise. You can, however, and I hope we talk about this later, see how much uh, their lobbying wing is spending. So I think it's really interesting. But they did have difficulty convincing the IRS that they should be allowed to do this. And it was a real, I think, downward spiral in transparency.
1: Yep, I think this needs to be resurrected, and I'm talking to some organizations to do this. Mm -hmm. Now, the next slide, Um, there's Joel Rosenberg, who's a Jewish convert to Christianity. Mm -hmm. He led a delegation two years ago to meet with MBS, Mohammed bin Salam, and already uh, in cooperation with the Trump administration, you saw the opening of Christian Zionists coming to Saudi Arabia and then to the Emirates so they're beginning to play with this religious definition of zionism and Mm -hmm. and the israeli project and the deal of the century so that's another dimension and that's the global dimension of christian zionism they have a far reach Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. and and then who's
0: yeah Farouk Mitha? what's he all about
1: well um this is kind of a new one for me that he is uh he's a advisor to biden and they are encouraging uh support for the deal of the century as muslims and he's trying Mm -hmm. to organize muslim he's a muslim engagement advisor to biden so
0: okay so these are some of the um other groupings you mentioned earlier
1: right embrace a liberal zionism uh reading reinhold niebuhr post holocaust theologians and so on um and really i i thoroughly embraced zionism my first church was a black church in newark i was one of the few white persons in that congregation but i loved that experience but we twinned with a synagogue in in newark new jersey and uh i was strongly supportive of uh Uh, of the Jewish community and of Zionism at that point from a liberal theology. Mm -hmm. And you find this a lot in in our churches. Uh, The theologian Mark Ellis calls this the ecumenical deal where we have dialogue as uh, progressive Protestants and Catholics. Catholics are particularly steeped in this. Mm -hmm. But uh, no criticism of Israel and keep the Palestine issue at the door. Don't bring that into the discussion. Right. And, and they're told, let us handle it. Uh, yeah. you know, we're on the front lines. And a lot of our members take that on as uh, in Congress. Maybe not so theological, but it's just kind of a cultural thing. Let's right. not criticize. And for God's sake, let's not support BDS. That's now off the table.
0: Yeah, that that seems to be uh, well. So, what have we got this uh, la, this uh, slide about resisting Christian Zionism? How's that done?
1: Well, um, as I say at the top here, recent polling shows a slow decline in support uh, among evangelicals for the Zionist position and for Israel. It's uh, it's slowly changing, particularly among young people. Mm-hmm. So. I've been part of, and now I'm kind of on the fringes of a group that has a uh, website, and, and, and viewers can go to that, christianzionism.org, just, just Google it. It's written by evangelicals for evangelicals, using evangelical language, uh, but it's not Christian Zionist. It's a critique from a Christian evangelical point of view. Christ at the Checkpoint, which is run every other year, is hosted by Palestinian Christians in Bethlehem to now stepped up and they uh, attended the Kufi convention in uh, 2018 and actually did civil disobedience, disrupted Mike Pence's speech and were carried out yelling Zionism is racism. So this is going to continue through Friends of Sibyl and that was an intersectional movement with Muslim, Jewish, Christian, Buddhist, Mm -hmm. and secular activists coming around to challenge a Christian Zionist event. So FASNA's work is going to continue. Uh, The legal challenge, I think, is something that is going to have to be carefully done, will be expensive, but I I think it's necessary. Um, But also this global solidarity. I think our best hope uh, for justice in Palestine Uh, We see it in the support for BDS, which I am totally committed to, Mm -hmm. that there is a movement for global support that's intersectional with Black, Latinx, Muslim, LGBTQ, and Jewish Voice for Peace and others. And if this can expand and grow uh, internationally, and there's elements of that in the BDS movement, that Mm -hmm. global solidarity work, I think, can begin to bring economic pressure on Israel. And then the mainline churches—they continue their advocacy work, and they're stepping it up. And then uh, the McCullum bills,
3: 24
1: seven forty-three ninety-one, for Palestinian uh, children. Yep. Focus with uh, with Palestinians to to condition U.S. foreign and military aid to Israel until uh, on the basis of Israel complying with international law and stopping the torture and abuse of children being one of them. Exactly. So right. We have that. And I think support for that's going to grow.
0: Yeah. I, I, I saw some of that being lobbied by groups uh, like the American Friends Service Committee. Yes. And, and, you know, they spend, you know, a million dollars uh, lobbying. They're not small potatoes so it's kind of interesting that McCollum's bill is getting traction in that way so tell us about this last or one of the last slides here tribal texts
1: yeah this can be the last one you know the bible is a very complex book Uh and it's got a variety of texts and theologians like Walter Brueggemann who once was very much a liberal Zionist has has shifted his position and there's many many others Brugeman says there are texts in the Bible. Palestinian theologians like Naima Atik, Mitri Rahab, and then the kairos Palestine Movement highlight the text, the text that supports total Israeli, uh, total uh, conquest of the of the Promised Land. But at, by the end of the book of uh, of Joshua you see that they didn't conquer all of it. So there's another text that shows they didn't have total control. Psalm 87, a remarkable psalm that talks about all the nations, the Moabites, even the Philistines, coming to sit at one of the table of the Lord. So this is a total change from the Joshua text that wiped them out and talk about God as a warrior God leading Israel into battle. So that changes, and there are these texts that can be read, and they're particularly in the Hebrew prophets. Uh, the Kufis and Hagi and the others, they ignore those texts. They don't talk about them. Right. And interestingly, they skip over Jesus.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Jesus had nothing to say about all of the land. In fact, uh, when uh, one of Jesus' last appearances, you know to take it literally, it may be symbolically, When he's at the Mount of Olives after the resurrection, a couple of zealot questions come to him. Lord, will you now uh, declare that the Romans will be defeated in many words? Will you now allow Israel to take total control? And Jesus rejects it and says, it's not for you to know the times that God has fixed by his own authority. So don't make the Bible a countdown for end time prophecy. Don't focus just on land and nationhood, God's kingdom is deeper, it's about justice, it's about truth, it's about equality. So Jesus even rejects those end-time theologies that the Christian Zionists skip over. And what they do, you see a fourth point down there, is Christian Zionism and political Jewish Zionism make an idolatry out of the land and the state. And this is their Achilles heel, and this is where we have to approach, critique, and attack. That God is call, honoring the Imago Dei in G- Genesis 2. Everyone is created equal in the eye of God, and we are to embrace, protect, and stop the genocide against them. And finally, the uh, I really am a great supporter of liberation theology which elevates justice as a central theme of the Bible and gives a preferential option for the poor and the disenchanted. And Jesus was that way. He went to the margins. He went to the people outside, even to the Gentiles to bring them good news. So uh, I, I think this is the basis of what we should be challenging them with. A very quick summary of the theology.
0: Excellent. Well, let, we got a bunch of questions pouring in. And so I'm going to recommend just to keep the bandwidth that we have that uh, maybe we do these audio only. Yeah. Um, so let's see. Um, all right. So one person, George, is asking, what can we, the viewers, do to counter Christian Zionism in our churches, every time I hear calls from the pulpit to support Israel, I get upset and don't want to go to church anymore. Is what George <laughs> is saying, and uh,
1: let yeah. me answer that one. I mean, I've been there, and uh, yeah, yeah, that that's very real. You just get so worked up. Um, well, there's a couple things I think. You could try to connect that church with some local Palestinian Christians, uh, get the Palestinian voice in there for a discussion, mm-hmm. um, get sit down with the pastor and introduce them to like Christian Zionism.org, good books like uh, Brueggemann's uh, Chosen, which is actually a study guide, 60 pages, a study guide that goes into the complexities of the Bible, but these justice passages and verses that can be brought up and be introduced. A lot of pastors just fall into a form of Christian Zionism without even knowing what it is. Right, uh, And our seminaries aren't doing a good job. I wish we could get more in seminaries. Introduce them maybe to some of the Palestinian Christian voices, the Kairos document, just Google Kairospalestine.org. With a K, right? With a K, K A I R O S O S. It just means a moment. In 2009, Palestinian Christians issued this cry for justice from the Holy Land, and they keep updating it. Uh, you can bring some of these people to your church, best organize a delegation, maybe in cooperation with Sabil, when we can travel again to go over and not just see a one-sided pro-Zionist group, Mm -hmm. see that, but sit and meet with Palestinians, see the wall, see the occupation, and hear from people who have this settler colonial critique on the ground and are trying to survive, like Sam Bahor, Mazen Kamsia, and many, many others. So go when you can, but you can go virtually.
0: All right, so I've got to show a short clip, again, at risk of derailing our bandwidth, but and then get your comments for this. It's a short clip of um, the uh, Secretary of State addressing the Republican National Convention from a pretty unique place, (laughs) and and hopefully this will work. Let's see if we can get this up.
3: I'm speaking to you from beautiful Jerusalem, looking out over the old city. I have a big job as Susan's husband and Nick's dad. Susan and Nick are more safe and their freedom's more secure because President Trump has put his America first vision into action. It may not have made him popular in every foreign capital, but it's worked.
0: All right, so I'm just gonna advance it a little bit here. And let's just see what he says later on. Because of
3: the president's determination and leadership, the ISIS caliphate is wiped out. It's gone. Its evil leader, Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, is dead. And our brave soldiers, they're on their way home. The president exited the U.S. from the disastrous nuclear deal with Iran and squeezed the Ayatollah, Hezbollah, and Hamas. The president, too, moved the U.S. Embassy to this very city of God, Jerusalem, the rightful capital of the Jewish homeland. And just two weeks ago, the president brokered a historic peace deal between Israel and the United Arab Emirates.
1: Let's both comment, Grant. You've got to read on this, too. Um, I mean, this is uh, for Trump's political base to short mm. up. Uh, and the Christian Zionists in that base, which may be as high as 68 to 70 percent, uh, will love this move. Uh, They'll believe the lie that this is a peace deal, whereas it was an arms deal, just to begin uh, to create a new Middle East, advancing Israel uh, and its relations with the Emirates, eventually Bahrain and the Saudis as a front against Iran or any opposition. Uh, You know, it's a very dangerous, I mean, the Emirates have designed.
0: It's an incredible backdrop. As you mentioned, a lot of red meat there for everybody. Getting
1: a religious spin.
0: Uh-huh. It's uh huh.
1: yeah. Go ahead. The Abraham, the Abrahamic piece. I mean, just to use that image uh, is a religious spin to justify this. So it's it's a false message. Pompeo and uh, Pence are Christian Zionists. They believe this end time theology. But it's being used politically to galvanize their base. So um, it it just really needs a a much harsher critique. Uh, It's not going to work, but it is, you know, for the time being, uh, what they have is one of the few things to shore up their base and get Trump reelected. Right. And Netanyahu wants to save his butt because uh, uh, if he loses, he'll be tried for corruption. And uh, the International Criminal Court will hopefully have Trump and the generals uh, in its scope uh, in trials in the future. So this is all to put this new spin to keep Trump and Netanyahu in power uh, with a new U.S. strategy, anti-Iran, anti-any opposition. uh, That's
0: So I'm hearing you drop off a little there. Maybe you can hear me, though. So as far as Christian Zionists in the upcoming election, could they have done anything more than this? Is this just firing on all cylinders for them?
1: Um, I just lost you.
0: Yeah. I was just asking whether they could have done anything more messaging wise to really address this Christian Zionist audience.
1: Yeah, this is uh, exactly. I mean, when you have a Secretary of State, and Pence does it himself. Marketing this religious uh, narrative for Zionism and for the US empire in its imperial reach. I mean, very, very dangerous. Right. And uh, people who don't have the critical tools just swallow it. So that's why our work is just accelerated now at this time. Excellent.
0: Well, I want to thank you, uh, Reverend Wagoner, for this uh, excellent discussion. Sorry we didn't have the bandwidth to sustain our video it's always good to see people's expressions and kind of get an idea of you know how they're thinking through this um but i do want to mention a couple of things about our next session and uh our next event is going to be with uh walter hickson and so you can go to israelobbycon.org and you'll be able to see some details about that. He's the author of a half a dozen books on the history of US foreign relations. He's taught history for 36 years and is currently Distinguished Professor of History at the University of Akron. So his sign-up sheet is there. He'll also cover a different angle uh, of sel- uh, settler colonialism. Uh, comparing um, some of the many similarities between the American settler colonialism experience, which he wrote a book about, and what's going on and has been going on in Israel-Palestine, uh, going deep on concepts such as doctrine of discovery, manifest destiny, chosenness, and all of the things that you need in order to make something like that work, including what's the role of APAC. A-J-C-A-D-L, in that colonial projects. That's kind of a perspective that uh, maybe we wouldn't get from a lot of uh, other perspectives. So Walter Hickson's going to be on. You can visit IsraelLobbyCon.org for upcoming events. You can get this archived video. We'll cut out all the audio gaps, and uh, it'll be as good as or better than Uh, anything else we can do. So we want to really thank everybody for coming today. Share these announcements with your friends. Sign up below to get our email addresses and of our mailing lists. And once again, thank you, Reverend Wagner, for joining us today.
1: Thanks for the opportunity.